0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Oh my God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop that
1: kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head. 67 feet of water, and he was not happy
2: about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm gonna have to go with a, a European cut speed up. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, <laughs> he's not cooking them. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly. Right? Oh, ocean schnook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life.
1: Mm -hmm. And you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are
2: just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here is your host, Wayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Well, hello and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, Wayne England, Tommy Donlan. We are back here in studio Thursday night, coming to you live from the studio located here in Olympia, Washington. Welcome back to the studio, Hey, man, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Gosh darn it, we just are like hit and miss, cycling through, you know, just uh, no fault to our own. No, just been busy. And, really. Well, shows. And a little
1: bit of weather, a little bit of sickness. But. We'll get into all that. Yeah. So,
2: before we get too far along, hey, I want to welcome everybody to the show. If you are uh, jumping on here this evening, go ahead and uh, get on our text here. Uh, hit us up with questions, comments, concerns, what have you. Let us know what you think. Uh, I want to welcome everybody here on Root Sports. If it's your first time, I'd like to remind you all to, hey, don't, uh, don't delay. Jump on over to our webpage, www.fishhuntnw.com. There you're going to find the uh, FHN20 coupon, which is good for 20% off all edge rods all the time through FHN and FHN20 edge rods. Uh, if they're not already assigned to another uh, reduced pricing or coupon special, you're going to save 20% on all fishing rods through our website, direct linked to edge rods. So with that, Tommy, uh, it has been busy, man. We got through the boat show. Yeah. Got through the sportsman sportsman's shows. Show. Got through yeah. the sportsman shows, finally Got hit with that sickness. Mm that a lot of people did i talked to a lot of buddies and stuff down there and it was on all different levels actually some folks <laughs> walked away from there with covid others oh, really? oh yeah uh not me i uh, yeah. ended up with the bronchial stuff but it was uh, pretty brutal and then last week we're all set to do a show that snow rolls in here yeah. we get a lot of snow here at summit lake it's kind of crazy right do, I noticed that. and we're only up a couple hundred feet but it doesn't matter it's like it hits here the freezing weather hits and uh lo and behold four o'clock thursday afternoon we lost power and I yeah. was kind of getting sick anyway, had the forethought to you know preload that, uh, that great outing we had with Mike Z out there on the coast. Right. And a lot of people right. have enjoyed that, man. It's been getting lots of, uh, lots of following. So I appreciate you guys tuning into that last week, even though it was a pre-record, but that was some. That was some great steelhead fishing in uh, extremely cold conditions, albeit sunny. Gin mm-hmm. clear water, but you know, Matt did a great job, man. We got some great underwater footage. Yeah, phenomenal. Got some white yeah. water footage, you know. Yeah. You, you don't typically think white water footage and, and uh, right. steelhead fishing. Right. But uh, we were able to capture it all. And so. the big man anchor in the back. Yeah, yeah. big man yeah. anchor in the back. Yeah, <laughs> going down. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do this. Let's run down the show. We got a big one uh, lined up for tonight. Plenty busy, to say the least, Tommy. Uh, We come back from break. Nate Pamplin, Director of External Affairs with WDFW. Hey, not sure if you're aware, but we have a pinniped predation issue in Puget Sound. And Nate is here to shed a little light on it and uh, what is going on as we move forward. Tommy, you are back in the bait lab, plugs for blackmouth. I like to look at this as bigger presentation, bigger fish. Is our option here. Uh, then we're going to update you on some uh, information about Blackmouth, Puget Sound, CQ. Where can we fish, Tommy? Where can we actually go chase Blackmouth, right? Um, hey, we're going to introduce everybody this evening to a young man by the name of Gavin Boggs. If you're not familiar with him, you will be. There's a new state lake record whitefish, Tommy. Uh, we'll talk to the man who set the new record. It's a great story. Young guy over there from the east side and uh, can't wait to talk to him. And then also, and so it begins, Salmon by the numbers. NOF Gray's Harbor. How does it look? Well, I sat in on the meeting last night, and I uh, got the uh, got the prelim, got some numbers, and you know we were pretty excited about coho fishing last year. It's, uh, it's going to be another good one. We Can't wait to tear into those numbers. And as we close out the show and wind this down, we got some bottom fishing discussion to have. We got some regulation changes we do. that people need to be yeah. aware of. We have some clam dig dates that have been announced that we're pretty excited about through this weekend. Lots going on, lots to get out and do. And uh, we're going to get through this show. So we got a lot of you guys signing on here tonight. Love to see this. Uh, Where are the edge rods made? They're made right down there in Woodland, Washington. 100% manufactured North Fork composites and assembly. Their North Fork composites uh, build and manufacture all edge rods and 100% U.S. made. So check out their website. That's a great question, Brian, and people do often ask, are they really 100% U.S. made?
1: They are, and in fact, you know, what's odd is, you know, a lot of, the majority, I would say, of the rod manufacturers have a factory build their blanks. And then they ship them out and they finish the completed rod somewhere else. Yeah. Edge does the whole thing. Start to finish. Yeah. The design, the build, the fabrication of the blank. The whole thing. And then the finishing of the rod. Yeah. They even build a
2: lot of the components, a lot of the grips they, they
1: build too. And so it's really um, a comprehensive production system they have going on down there.
2: 100%. And if you are so inclined, you can take a tour down there. Uh, Also stop by the Pro Shop and check out. Put your hands on the fishing rods. they got a ton of them in there on display and for purchase. And they got the Pro Shop there with tons of gear. So, all right, great question and uh, lots of good discussion coming up this evening. Don't go anywhere. Going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. Nate Pamplin, Director of External Affairs, WDFW and Pinnipeds, right here at Fish on Northwest. Defiance Marine is the one-stop shop for the Pacific Northwest Angler. Defiance Marine guarantees the best price on a new and best service on a repower for your current boat. Defiance Marine is a Honda Premier dealership and one of the largest on the West Coast. Defiance Marine is a boat dealer who proudly sells Defiance, Allied, and Arima boats. All boats are built by West Coast fishermen for West Coast fishermen. Defiance Marine has all your boating needs to help you get out on the water. If you're looking for
1: the best fishing rods in the world, you really do need to take a look at the edge rods. I designed and built new machinery, and I think this new machinery has enabled us to build blanks like no other company can build without this equipment. There is no other rods in the world that are as good as these rods. You owe it to yourself to take a good look at them.
2: All right, welcome back here to the show. Dwayne England, Tommy Donlin here in Studio Fish on Northwest. And thanks for joining us. Take a minute, go ahead and uh, share out our content, invite your friends. we got a lot of great uh, discussion and topics to cover tonight, Tommy. And uh, folks need to hear this information. Our first guest up this evening has been on the show previously. I want to welcome him back. Nate Pamplin, Director of External Affairs, WDFW. Thanks for uh, jumping back on the show with us tonight, Nate. How you doing?
0: Uh, doing really well. Hey, thanks so much for, for inviting me to be, be on the program.
2: Absolutely, so hey, previously, and actually the last time you were here on the show, you were actually the policy director with WDFW. Now you've taken uh, a little little change in uh, career path here. Kind of quickly describe your current role now with WDFW.
0: <laughs> yeah, you bet. It, it's, the, it's the same essential portfolio of work, just a slightly different title. So I uh, manage a, a work unit that uh involves all the communications and public engagement teams, uh, but I also supervise staff that are uh, essentially kind of like special assistants. So we have a, a social scientist now, an economist, our killer whale policy lead, mm. and then just work that I do, I, I cover uh, tribal hunting issues and marine mammal policy issues and represent the director on a number of intergovernmental forums. So still gotcha. pretty busy
1: beautiful beautiful so all right nate here we go <laughs> yeah the topic of the night everybody wants to hear about it right it's puget sound and the pinnipeds and so recently the washington state academy of science they published a report they sent it to the legislature could you tell us a little bit more about you know what is the report what's in it what's the intent of it and then what's the request from the legislators mm-hmm.
0: yeah well yeah, this is a, a big topic, as you all know, note, noted and, and something on a lot of people's minds. So I think it's important to kind of go back a little bit and just uh, recognize the origin of this. And, and this really stems from uh, the work of uh, Governor Inslee's Southern Resident Killer Whale Task Force. Uh, and so in 2018, there was a report that came out with 36 recommendations to try to help recover uh southern resident killer whales and that was to address threats on prey availability and vessel disturbance and contaminants well two of those recommendations were on pinnipeds one dealing with sea lions in the columbia river and the other uh dealing with uh uh, puget sound and outer coast pinnipeds and and one of the recommendations was hey let's convene uh, uh and work with the academy of sciences to convene scientists to look at what is the impact of, of pinniped predation, and uh, if, net, if you know, and is it worth intervening? And and looking at all the the different types of uh, ecological impacts of of uh, not only pinniped predation, but if uh, we were to intervene and remove pinnipeds, what would that mean in terms of impacting other components of that food web? Mm. Would there be a release of another predator that would then uh, eat? Uh, juvenile salmon, for instance, harbor seals eat whiting. And so if, if you remove pinnipeds, would that allow for more whiting? Uh, if you were to do something on pinnipeds, would that affect transient killer whales? Mm. And so um, the legislature uh, uh, made a proviso for us to be able to contract with the Academy of Sciences. And so they've been hard at work for about the past year and a half or so. And they finally completed the report last fall. Mm. Um we had worked with the Academy on that contract and, and we had worked with the 20 Western Washington Treaty tribes on what were those management questions that we'd want this panel of scientists to assess.
2: What was uh, uh what what, what are, we
0: just got the report back and and we're now kind of pouring through the findings.
2: Right, you're right. I was gonna sorry to interrupt you there, Nate. I want to kind of get to uh, get to the gist of this. What's the key findings or recommendations from the Academy of Science in their in their uh, recent research over the last couple of years?
0: Yeah, it's really a, you know, a compilation of, of the science rather than, you know, not novel research that they did on their own. But the key takeaway here is they said that the the preponderance of evidence uh, supports the the hypothesis here that the current populations of pinnipeds are likely impeding the recovery of salmon. Um, and thus they go on to say that, you know, probably the strategic removal of pinnipeds is an approach that can be required. And I think that for a lot of folks, that'll be the, the main takeaway. And, right. and the report says, you know, and the status quo of not intervening would further depress salmon populations. But here's the trick. And this is, this is where I think the academy also uh, kind of tempered that recommendation because they indicated that uh, a proposal of this sort will require a substantial investment in scientific capacity and political will. And they also noted that the complexity of the Marine Mammal Protection Act, there's very few administrative options available to actually do this work. And they, they say that it essentially uh, blocks most pinniped removal from, from going forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's the challenge. And that's something you've, you've heard me say. I've, I've presented this at a variety of different forums over the years. It, it's nice to have an independent science panel come to that same conclusion.
1: Sure. Yeah. So you brought up a really good point, right? Because we do, That's where my mind immediately went was the Marine Mammal Protection Act, right? Um, right, which is which is a federal act, and so that that has me wondering. You know, you got the Washington State Academy of Science and they're publishing this data, right? They're, they're doing this report that effectively says we've got an overpopulation of pitipeds and we need to do something about it. But then you've got this act that's in place that says you can't do anything about it even if you wanted to. So can you talk a little bit about that working relationship between the state and how the state plans to work with the federal government and address that issue?
0: Well, that's, that's, so I, I'd say for, from our approach right now, um, is really kind of starting to get the word out about the, the findings. You know, we have the, the killer whale task force recommendations, which said convene the panel. And then they said, you know, if, if necessary, then pursue the next steps. And that was also con- including, you know, continuing the diet studies, looking at non lethal, um, uh, deterrence. Um, is there artificial haul-out sites that can be addressed, et cetera, et cetera? Um in addition, uh you know, we're we're talking with the tribes, we've we've had conversations with nymphs. The NMPA um does a really good job at protecting marine mammals. Um uh, there's three possible options under the act to to do management removals. One of them has never been done, which is to return management authority back to the state. Um, one has been used probably less than 10 times in the history of the act, which is ask for a waiver of the, of what's called the take moratorium and then request a permit. And then there's another provision, um, which allows for the removal of individually identifiable pinnipeds, And that's the authority that we've used for a number of years down the Columbia River at Bonneville Dam. Right. and it took us 12 years to amend the mmpa we finally did that in 2018 also one of the recommendations in the governor's killer wheel task force uh but that that allowed for more streamlined removals of of sea lions above the i-205 bridge
2: got it so nay we're uh, we're running up against a hard break here uh, real quick yeah. Um, in a couple seconds, just uh, let us know, are we going to see some forward movement and uh, actually start taking some action in Puget Sound? I'm sure everybody tuning in wants to know if there's going to be some movement, aggressive movement or what have you, to start, uh, you know, righting the wrong, so to speak, and getting balance in our ecosystem.
0: Yeah, no, I understand that motivation, uh, definitely. And and the, the movement right now, I think, is starting to Uh, talk about the findings and see if the legislature and others would want the Department of Fish and Wildlife to
2: pursue that that direction. Gotcha. We never have enough time. Probably should have broke this into two segments, but uh, we thought we could get this all in. We will definitely have you back as we get progression on this and start seeing some uh, forward movement uh, and some some action being taken, Nate. So really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Keep us abreast of uh, things progressing forward and uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me on. Have a good night. You bet, have a great night. All right, that uh, that will wrap it up with uh, Nate Pamplin, Director of External Affairs there at WDFW, and uh, we can only hope that they start taking some action here. in I know, and it, and it, they're on a finite
1: timeline, so it needs to be done quickly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, it's not taking twelve years like right. the Columbia River. All right, we got to get out of here. We're not going to have enough time for you to uh, get your That's right. Let's go uh, your uh, your plug uh, uh, presentation in the bait lab. So don't go anywhere. We're going to jump out for a quick break. We come back, we'll be in the bait lab with Mr. Tommy Donlan, plugs for blackmouth, right here, Fish Out Northwest allied the new leader in heavy gauge aluminum boats allied boats have standard reverse china and lifting rakes to help you plane faster and run at lower rpms allied boats have several models to choose from ranging from a 19 foot mustang all the way up to a 32 foot liberator so regardless of what type of heavy gauge aluminum boats you are looking for allied boats will have it for you contact allied boats today to learn more about these incredible fishing machines Hey, welcome back
1: to Fish at Northwest. I'm Tommy Donlan, and we're in my favorite place, the Bait Lab. And this is brought to you by Sparco. Hey, tonight we're going to talk about fishing plugs and fishing specifically plugs for blackmouth, right? Now, what's the problem that we always run into? It never fails, right? We have this January, February blackmouth season that opens up in the central Sound and then you fish it for seven days. And before you know it, they shut it down because we have too many sublegal encounters, right? that is the problem and so why is that and a lot of times that reason is because we're fishing small profile baits right we're fishing a coho killer or maybe we're fishing a smaller kingfisher spoon or a red label herring or maybe even an anchovy right and let's face it those fish are they're feeding they're packing on weight right and they're gonna smash it right so you you really have to Make your profile a lot bigger. So let's look at the table here really quick. I want to introduce you to a couple products that you've probably seen before, but maybe you don't think of them in terms of your winter blackmouth fishery. Okay, so you are looking at right here the Silver Horde Ace High Five. Right, this is a five-inch plug. Um, you're going to notice that in this plug design, and I'm holding uh, the tried and true Herring Aid. Right, absolutely love this color and basically you know this has also got a glow finish on the belly shows up really well again this is a five inch plug you're going to notice the lip on this plug right you've got kind of two styles you've got the traditional plug here uh, which doesn't have any lip towards the top kind of uh, defining that feature there and this is a wider plug. When you look at how wide the diameter is, this one is a lot wider than this one. So you're going to use this one for, you know, if you're slow trolling, you really want to get your speed down and and still have that action. Okay. Now my favorite, because I do like to troll plugs fairly fast, even for winter blackmouth, I'm going to go with this one. It's got a little slimmer profile as well. So even for summer kings, you can troll up to three and a half, four knots with this. Um, So, and it's got that feature. Okay. Now, you've got this decision point that you need to make, right? Do you go with a four inch plug or do you go with a five inch plug? And what I'm saying right now, because that problem exists where you're catching these undersized fish, you really want to go with the larger plug, right, the five inch plug. Now I'm going to show you what a four inch plug looks like just in size comparison. Okay, that is a four inch plug right there. Now I just, I'm telling you, that this one here on the the other side the one that's five inch is going to outperform the other one hands down all day long. Now let's look at let's look at a little bit of the color schemes here. I think it's really important, especially when you're talking about winter blackmouth. you got to have something that glows and you got to have something that can attract that UV light. super important. you know the other thing when we talk about uh, fishing plugs, the reason especially that I like them for blackmouth is because you want to avoid sublegal encounters. Now if you do encounter those sublegal fish, you really want to you know treat those fish, kindly release them gently, right? And well, what do you notice on this plug? If I lay it back on the table, it's got a single hook, right? A single hook point, one single siwash hook. Um, you know, obviously you're going to you're gonna smash the barb before you put this in the water. And you know, a lot of times with this big hook and the size of the bait, you're going to hook that fish right in the corner of the mouth. Um, so it's really important to consider that. Now here's the other thing about plugs right? The way I fish them, especially for winter blackmouth, those fish are on the bottom a lot, right? You're going to see them kind of right in that bottom 10 feet of water column. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the release clip. Now I want to show you this release clip on the table here, um, really briefly. This is anytime I'm fishing gear and especially plugs, I'm going to use a pro release right now. Why am I using this pro release? The reason I use a pro release is because that type of release for your downrigger, only releases from the plug end. Okay. So you can really load up the rod. You can you know send the downrigger down fast and that line's not going to come out of that clip unless a fish hits it. And I like to really load up the rod, especially with plugs, you've got a bigger hook and you want to drive it home. Okay. And so that's that's really important. Now with plugs, the way you fish them and it's really important, you want to set these plugs back about 40 to 50 feet behind your downrigger clip these plugs wander left to right. Okay, they've got a sway to them and you want to let them fish and swim back and forth. If you're cutting that super close to the clip, you're not going to get, you're only going to get a little bit of action left to right. So basically, especially fishing for blackmouth, I'm going to put the balls all the way down to the bottom. I'm going to bump the bottom with the downrigger ball and then I'm going to bring it up five feet and wait. Okay, monitoring my depth, wait a couple minutes, put it back down bump the bottom, and then bring it back up just a couple feet, just a couple feet, right? I'm gonna have that plug right in the zone. Here's one more last beautiful fact about fishing these plugs. You know, you've got four people on the boat. You've got two downriggers. These plugs stack with zero issues. They do not tangle. There's no flasher involved. There's very little drag and they just don't tangle. So you can effectively fish four plugs, which I really don't like to do with flashers because I do believe that that upper rig that's stacked above the lower one can also prevent that salmon from coming in and hitting that lower rig. So another reason I don't like to stack, but for plugs, do it all day long. All right, that's gonna do it for us in the bait lab. Don't go anywhere, we're gonna be right back. Fish on Northwest. SportCo, an outdoor emporium, is the largest local outfitter in the northwest since 1975 providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear this summer make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse style pricing we are a local scotty dealer offering sales service and repair located in fife and seattle come visit us today the outdoors
2: awaits you Alright, welcome back here in studio for the second half of the show as we kick things underway. Tommy, uh yeah, have you ever caught a whitefish?
1: I did. And in fact, when I caught it, I didn't
2: even know what it was. Seriously? It looked
1: like it would be disgusting to
2: eat, so I threw right. it back yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're <laughs> yeah. kind of they're kind of tough. They're scaly. Yeah. It's a cross between like a carp it looks and like a a carp. sucker, yeah. right? Yeah. They got that down downward mouth almost not quite like a sucker. It's not like right. completely on the underside yeah. of the body, but it is out front, you know. And they're a little different looking, but... They are. They put up a good fight, though, I will say. They're a hard-fighting fish. They yeah. um, they are considered somewhat of a delicacy. Really white, light, flaky meat. Yeah. Uh, you can get some pretty good-sized ones, mm-hmm. and that would be the point of having our next guest on, Gavin Boggs. This young man is uh, currently now the recognized new Washington State Lake... Lake... Because Rec- they're our river. Yeah. So lake yep. record whitefish holder over there from the east side. Gavin, how are you doing this evening, man?
3: Doing great. How are you guys? Hey,
2: we're great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. So a little history for folks tuning in to check out what this is all about. 20 years old, if I remember right, you are currently attending Gonzaga. And yes, sir. uh Yep, you were out on Roosevelt for day of walleye fishing, and you've kind of been fishing the east side or grew up on that east side fishing most of your life, haven't you?
3: Yeah, I've been, I've, I've lived in Davenport my whole life, okay. and uh, for as long, pretty much as long as I can remember, we've been fishing the Rufus Woods, like Roosevelt area. And uh, yeah, grew up with a fishing pole in my hand and it's been, a it's, I explore quite a bit of lakes and rivers across the Eastern Washington area. I really don't expand outside of that, sure. but yeah, yeah. That's
1: great. So it sounds like, you know, so this, this day that you caught this record fish, you know, you were walleye fishing. It sounded like maybe it was a little slow. Um, tell us a little bit about the day. Like how did the day start? How did it unfold? You know, what kind of techniques or presentations
3: were you using? Yeah, so it ended up just being me, my dad, and my college roommate. Uh, We were super pumped to go out and start some walleye fishing. We hadn't been walleye fishing this winter yet. So we just started off the day, got out there pretty early in the morning, and started doing some jigging. Um, It's pretty tough luck in the morning to start off with. We were only able to land one fish, and so we moved all up and down the lake, and tried to find tried to get on them. Um, couldn't get on any. So we ended up going back and only having one fish in the live well. So we went back and got some lunch. And then later that afternoon, me and my roommate went back out, <clears throat> went down river a little bit farther than what we were fishing earlier that morning. And yeah, threw on a swim bait. I was fishing a four inch kytex swim bait. And, you know, just going for walleye because the previous weekend, we were fishing some net pens and I ended up hooking into a decent walleye and losing it at the boat mm. on that same swim bait. Mm. So throughout that same presentation, and we were getting some marks on our electronics thinking that there were walleye down there and you know, a little little that I know that there's a whole school of white fish underneath <laughs> of us <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> and yep. it's a, it's a odd presentation for a white fish to eat, but you know, He wanted the whole thing. He had it down his throat. Holy. He wanted it. So yeah, it just, it's kind of weird to see all these people fishing the smaller tungsten jigs, you know, tip of shrimp and all the smaller presentations people love. But it goes to show that bigger fish might want bigger presentations. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was was fishing pretty deep down in there, down the water about 75 feet. And, uh, yeah, he pulled pretty hard. You know i thought it was a pretty big walleye when i first hooked into him oh i'm sure and i was i was like man i was telling my buddy my roommate uh connor you know go grab the net i think this is a 30-inch walleye and uh to my surprise yeah we've seen it And he's never seen a whitefish either before so when i got that thing up we seen it down there probably 10 feet under the water and he's like dude i think you hooked a carp and i was kind of disappointed <laughs> yeah <laughs> 'Cause right. I was like, you know, in my mind I was like, Okay, I got this pretty big walleye on. Mm-hmm. Super excited. Go grab the net, get up to the boat. I don't want it to be a carp. I mean, carp are fun to catch too, but
2: yeah. I was no, hoping no it was fans of the carp lovers. No, yeah. 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 They fight pretty hard too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I love catching
3: those guys in the spring. But well, I tell yeah, you what, I got I it mean, up I mean, that, to the boat. And... fish
2: has got to be, you know, fight as you said, it was pulling pretty good. So you have to think you got a good sized walleye on because if you're walleye fishing anything's pulling good you know, and you're, you're thinking you're hooking walleye, it's got to be a good size one if it's actually, you know, putting up a fight. So I can see why yeah. you're pretty excited thinking it's going to be a... So, tale of the scale, uh, Gavin, the, uh, the old record, the old Washington State Lake whitefish record was what? Seven and a half. And your fish weighed in at? 7.86. 7.86. Yeah, that is a hog. You like that thing, Tommy? <laughs> yeah, Gavin. We got your
1: picture up right now on the
2: screen. Yeah, and that is a hog. That is a big whitefish. Oh, man. And uh, I'm here to tell you, you know, WDFW they do some uh, they do some net surveying, which you're well familiar with over there at Roosevelt when they're trying to uh, ascertain on the on the pike and whatnot. And they have pulled in Chris Donnelly, the program director over there. They have pulled in some monstrous whitefish. Um, obviously not line and hook caught so not a state record but they know that there is you know whitefish in roosevelt that exceed 10 pounds so the fact that you were over a school of them is pretty impressive yeah yeah
3: and i wasn't i wasn't really aware of the fact that um they were catching big whitefish in their nets right until i got the opportunity to go verify my fish and talk with danny garrett from the department of Fish and wildlife Mm -hmm. and you know i posted that post on facebook too in eastern washington fishing and Um, someone uploaded a picture of that 9.6 pound whitefish that they had caught in their nets. And I was like, that is just unbelievable. Yes, You know, it's huge.
1: Now Gavin, so, (laughs) okay, so you catch this um, fish. And uh, unlike me, you actually knew what it was because I caught one and I didn't even realize what it was. I threw it back.
2: You could have the state record Um, and just throw it back. No, I didn't have the state record. No, mine was (laughs) like a a two pounder.
1: Yeah. Uh, But I looked at it. I'm like, I don't think that's edible. I threw it back. Little did I know how good they taste. But hey, so you catch this fish, right? And you must have you must have known that the state record was somewhere in that range. Like, what did you do? What was going through your head? You land the fish. And then what's your next thought? When did you actually weigh this thing in for the state record?
3: So, yeah. Immediately when I got it in the net and got it in the boat and was holding it in my hands, I was like, dude, I've never seen a whitefish this big in my life. No kidding. So I ended up having my buddy take a couple pictures, which is what you guys seen there. That was probably 30 seconds after the catch. And I texted a couple pictures. Actually, I called my dad. Shout out to my dad. Uh, I called him and I was like, I just caught a big whitefish. I'm going to send you some pictures. I think it could potentially be a state record. I don't know what the weight is so at the time when I caught that fish, I didn't actually know what the state record was previously I ended up calling my dad and he needed a little bit of research and found out that, you know, this could be a potential state record. Yeah, so I ended yeah. up putting it on the scale. I had two scales with me. Um, I had a newer Rapala digital scale. So I put it on there and then I had an older, older scale and my newer scale said 7.6 and my older scale said 712. So in my mind, I was like, you know, it's probably safe to say it might be somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So we ended up putting it in the live well and getting back to seven days and putting it in a cooler, getting it up the hill, and started our way down, up to Davenport.
2: Get there and get it weighed. So, That's right. Uh, yeah. What's what's next in the progression? You officially have it weighed and registered. Um, the state recognized it as a state record. So You are now the current... You know, recognized Washington State Lake whitefish record holder. Congratulations! Um, is it in the freezer? Yeah, full. You know, in its in its uh, natural <laughs> uh, existence. And uh, are you planning to get it mounted? What are you doing with that thing?
3: Yeah, so we ended up trying to contact a couple people, a couple of taxidermist shops in Spokane, um, having a little bit of issues you know, getting someone who has done whitefish before yeah. or will mm-hmm. do whitefish for us just because it's such an uncommon, uncommon fish sure. and mm-hmm. for Makes people sense. to mount, Yeah, you know, it's, it's just a game fish. It's just something people put in their freezers and forget about. So, you know, when a taxidermist sees someone wanting to mount it, they're like, you know, we've never really done that before. <laughs> Don't have the molds for it. So go figure. Yeah. We've, we've got it in the fridge and we're actively searching for anybody around the area, you know, who will be willing to? Oh
2: yeah, mount it for us. And well, I was hoping a, we got to help you get the word out there. There's got to be some taxidermy yeah. that would take pride in the fact that they're mounting the Washington State record right, whitefish right. and put their uh, put their efforts uh, to work <clears> and <throat> let their art be seen on your wall and you know pictures and everything else. that can get spread around social media and and what else. But uh, yeah, we'll get the word out there for you, Gavin. That thing needs to get mounted, and uh, you need to actually have that obviously in your home or your dad's place there or whatever at seven bays and and you know show that to the family and friends for the rest of your life
1: i just got one more question though gavin so you you mentioned something and i know what i would do so i'm curious what you would do so you said your friend said that oh you've just you've got a carp right he made that he made that statement you're fighting this fish right (laughs) and uh you know you're thinking big walleye right right get the net and he says you got a carp what what did you make him do? Did you make him walk the plank, swim to shore, jump in the water? I know the water's probably what, like 40 of degrees. Pay penance of some sort, yeah. Yeah. What? What? Uh, what? Uh, repercussion did he have to suffer?
3: <laughs> well, um, honestly. There were no repercussions, but <laughs> true gunslinger, <Gonsagaman, there>, gentlemen.
2: <laughs> true gunslinger. It's
3: an inside joke from now until forever. You know, <laughs> it, it was hilarious. Right. Me and him both looked at each other in shock after it all happened. Like we can't even believe this is happening right now. Mm-hmm. So right on. I don't know. It could have
2: been worse. Oh, it's just a carp. I'm gonna cut your line. <laughs> you know. it's going to break them off, get rid of it, yeah, this right, thing right. stinks, you ain't got yeah, that I... in the boat, they, they smell terrible, so, well, congratulations, Gavin, yeah, appreciate you, yeah, absolutely, hats off to you, man, uh, for recognizing what you had there and following through on it. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get the word out there, buddy. We'll try to get uh, somebody to take that on. No number of taxidermists, so hopefully somebody watching the show tonight or throughout the weekend will be willing to contact us and get a hold of you and uh, make this happen because, uh, again, that thing needs to be mounted for uh, people to uh, look at and pure amazement for the rest yeah, of their days. So, all right, appreciate you joining us here tonight, Gavin. Taking the time to share your story is a good one. And uh, once again, congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, we'll talk to you. Gavin Yeah, you guys Boggs, have a good one. We'll do. Gavin Boggs, the uh, the new Washington mm-hmm. State r- lake record holder, whitefish, Tommy. And uh, I can't wait to see that thing stuffed and mounted.
1: Yeah, no uh-huh. kidding. Yeah. Man, if my buddy said you got a carp on, I'd be like, hey, you need to get off the boat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a state record, you yeah. dummy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fantastic. All right, good guy there. You Good young man going to Gonzaga. has got a whole Absolutely. future ahead of him. and He's passionate about fishing. Um, his whole family, they got a place over there at Seven Bays, and you know, I talked to him on the phone previously a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, and he's like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. I, I, I saw this story. And a Wagamont uh, over there at uh, Sport, uh, Northwest Sportsman's Magazine posted up the article. Okay. And I was down yeah. at the Portland Sportsman Show. And I was just kind of thumbing through stuff. I was like, holy cow, who's this kid that caught? I go, yeah. I, I got to call this guy. Yeah. So I want to talk to him. Well, this is kind of interesting.
1: The other thing that's interesting is that fish ate a four-inch swim bait. And if yeah. you've seen one of these fish, like yeah. their mouth, their mm-hmm. profile, their anatomy, it's, it's super small.
2: You so know? The, the one that Chris Donnelly and, and staff member were holding that they had caught in the survey net. Uh-huh. It kind of reminds me of the triploids, little head and just all of a yeah. sudden this big body right. just is attached right. to it, right? And yep. so their mouth isn't, it's pretty good size. Like he had told mm. me, it's its surprising how big its mouth is and he could understand why it was able to inhale that mm. four-inch bait. But typically when you get a whitefish, you know, 12, 14-inch whitefish, yeah, their mouths just, are...
1: Yeah, maybe it's just because I got a small one. That could be it. The mouth was small. It just, just looks small in relation mouth, to the body.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay, we're going to jump out for a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We have some great... Uh, content to get through here. Grays Harbor, North of Falcon process started last night, Tommy. And Grays Harbor went through their numbers. Uh, there's some there's some uh, low lights, but there are definitely some highlights. Things to look forward to as we roll into this fall fishery and as North of Falcon uh, begins to take shape here over the next 45 days. We're gonna go over all of that and some other numbers as well, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back right here in the studio, Fish Northwest, right after this break.
1: All Defiance Boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why all boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. All Defiance Boats come standard with large fish boxes that are fully insulated so that you can ice your fish properly all day. All Defiance Boats are foam flotation filled and unsinkable for the ultimate in safety while fishing offshore. Before you buy any boat, stop by or call Defiance Boats today to ensure you are getting the very best glass boat your money can buy
0: new days new beginnings new friends new loves new dreams new goals new scenery new job no matter what the next chapter holds better homes and gardens real estate will be there to help you find the new that's right for your lifestyle at any stage of your life
2: better homes and gardens real estate expect better all right, welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Dwayne and Tommy Donlin here in studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, we had a great question on here, Tommy, after you got done with your bait lab. Yeah. Uh, asking, uh, what about scent? Do we put scent on our plugs?
1: Yeah, right. I feel like such a failure for not even talking about it. Oh, really? But, you know, somebody was putting me under a lot of time pressure.
2: We were under and, the gun uh, here. So yeah. you got to get it done right. <laughs> yeah, right. But, um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So uh, Potsky's Fire Gel. And uh, Jordan, what, what scent is that that we use? Tuna. 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 And All the also time. shrimp, right? Mm-hmm. Any scent that's got that high krill content. And um, just FYI, I like to put it just on the lip of the plug, just a thin layer. Um, I don't like to bathe my gear in the scent like Dwayne does, mm-hmm. but uh, to each their own. I just yeah. like that true color profile of the plug to come out. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. More is better. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, scent. There's no downside, right? We've had this discussion. It's oh, like, yeah? There's no downside to putting scent in the Potsky Fire Gels. If right. you haven't picked any of those up, go to your local retailers, go to SportCo. Can't find mm-hmm. it? Call SportCo. Ask for the fishing counter. Order it online. They will ship. And uh, get, your, get your fire gel before we jump into this summer season. Yeah. You will thank us later, for sure. And if Dwayne England's on board, hide your flashers. There you go. Item. They're going to get lubed up. They're going to get lubed. Hey. So last night Tommy I took time to sit uh, and jump in on the Zoom. Um, Gray's Harbor, mm-hmm. Willapa, North of Falcon process started last night. Tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow morning to afternoon, six hour time frame is the, actually the Washington entire state uh, salmon forecast mm-hmm. meeting here in Lacey. So I'm going to try to maybe uh, head over there and say hi to a few folks and listen in on some of those uh, some of those. Presentations, but um, this is the start of it, man. This is when we start gearing up and getting the numbers. The preseason mm-hmm. forecast is always kind of the precursor, as I say, to what we either may or may not get. And as they start to mold or draft these seasons based on the actual numbers, right. right? Yeah, yeah. So. A lot of these numbers that are presented, they've come to agreement with the co-managers because uh, if they're not coming to agreement on preseason forecasting, we're already starting off on a
1: right. If we a, don't have agreement, we're not doing it. Correct. Right. So uh,
2: some yep. some some low lights with uh, Grays Harbor. We got a we got a bit of a Chinook downturn, last year somewhat, this year going into it looks like even a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, dropping off. So for the hump tulips for example, we always look forward to that uh, that Chinook opportunity that starts in September. Mm-hmm. Um, typically it's a mixture of wild and hatchery retention opportunities in some years. This is not going to be one of those years. Our natural return on the hump tulips is uh, 41.78, they need 35 mm-hmm. plus some change to meet escapement. Yep. It really leaves 605 fish on the table. And you may say, well, why can't we go after those fish? When you divide that by two, because anything that's on the table after recognized escapement needs or hatchery needs, right. we, we uh, divide that with our co-managers, right? So we're getting 50% of that. So we're talking 302 fish. What are we gonna do with those 302 fish? Mm-hmm. We're going to utilize them as we go after coho. Right. We're going to utilize those. For impacts, yep. Yep, in in the model for impacts as we go after the hatchery fish, which the hatchery fish numbers, Tommy, don't look too bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Yep, we got 43.57 total, half that, 21.78.
2: So we're going to get, yeah, we're going to get 21.78, it's going to be us a couple thousand fish. We're not looking at an opportunity of, say, whacking and stacking two Chinook out of the gate. No, probably going to be one. Probably going to be one fish, hatchery retention only on your Chinook. Uh, as part of your bag tag for yes. um, for the hump tulips, okay? Let's look at the coho, though. Coho numbers over there on the hump tulips don't look too bad. Natural is uh, 6,200. Escapement, though, is uh, 6,894. We're actually in the negative 682 fish. Mm-hmm. The coho, the wild coho, the natural coho component there in the hump tulips of this fishery has been on the decline for a number of years. We have not kept a wild coho out there off of the hump mm-hmm. for a very long time. So really now we're looking at uh going after hatchery chinook hatchery coho hatchery right. coho numbers don't look too bad
1: yeah yeah we got to get we got to get them out of the system right that's the other thing so the number that we can fish on ourselves is twelve
2: thousand eight hundred thirty-six. that's our half so yep. um that does give us a pretty ample opportunity on hatchery coho i would project in looking at you know historically how these seasons are modeled and tight options that they'll throw on the table that collective groups need to come to decision on. We're probably looking at a two fish limit through uh, September and October. Uh, September, probably October, you're gonna see one of of which one may be a Hatchery Mm -hmm. Chinook. Two two fish limit two hatchery fish only release all wild coho all wild chinook yep. makes sense right yep. we'll probably get in November they may drop that to one fish depending on how much is left on the table but you know we do have we do have a decent coho opportunity out there the numbers aren't like mind blowing but they are pretty decent to go after them. right that's a pretty good amount. Shehalis yep. um, is doing much better in some regards now. I have been just waiting to get back to the opportunity to retain chinook in the Chehalis <laughs> Basin. Back when I was on the uh, the committee there, on the advisory committee years ago, we had instituted a process of recognizing three of five. We have to meet escapement yep. three of five years, uh, you know, consecutively, uh, or, you know, three within that five years uh, consecutively to uh, be able to even consider having a, mm-hmm. uh, a take fishery on, on the hatchery fish, right? Yeah. We have gotta meet that escapement need on these wild fish. So, um, I'm sorry, so does that have to
1: be back to back to back years? No, so we or just any three of five year period. Three of
2: five. Yeah. Three of five. So you could go two in a row, miss one, and then get get another, miss a year. And then if the the sixth year, for example, we have twenty thousand fish coming back, we Mm. would be able to fish on those because we have we previously met at three of five. Right.
1: So so when you look at our last five years, where are we?
2: Uh, we actually the last five years we met escapement three years. Um, but the the numbers coming in this year don't warrant the opportunity to go after them. Ugh. Okay, so Chehalis, we have uh, natural return is ten thousand eight hundred twenty-eight. We actually we need nine thousand seven hundred fifty-three. So you go into that, and go well, we're above escapement. But when you divide the one thousand seventy-five fish by two, it puts five hundred thirty-five fish on the table. And I can tell you from past practice, when we go after those hatchery fish out there in the bay, along with our coho fishery, uh, a pretty Efficient recreational fleet can mop those 500 fish up mm. in as little as two days. Okay. I mean done deal Yeah, now we have nothing to wager against to go after for, our coho, for, coho. Yeah. for and and you guys need to remember. It's all about catch-and-release encounters and mortalities, right? So they're going to put that mortality rate on there, so Would you rather fish for three months on a robust, wide-open, two-fish limit, as we'll get to the numbers here on our coho… Right. No doubt. Right? No doubt. Or you just want to go after a few of those uh, Chinook and bonk them and then we're done. So… So
1: what kind of numbers are we looking at in terms of that available fishery um, to be able to fish on those schnook? does it have to be a thousand, two thousand? Like what number? It's got to we- be.
2: It's got to be a couple thousand above escapement. There's okay. a there's a there's a ten percent I believe ten percent uh, impact on that. So okay. yeah, it's a couple thousand fish above escapement. And you know the thing about this is, um, you know there are there are agreements um, with the uh, with the uh, I got it here. Let me just stick through my notes here. So there are agreements with Alaska and Canada, right? Um, we have the, the U.S. Uh, treaties and we have the, uh, the Pacific Salmon Treaty is what I'm trying to recall. Mm-hmm. So um, that, is, uh, that has been reviewed and is being held in a magistrate rules right now in changing the percentages that they allow to get passed. Uh, the commercial fisheries in Alaska and Canada. So I, they threw out a number last night or I found 16,250 chinook were taken last season by the uh, fisheries up north. okay, okay? If you curtail that, say you they only take 6,500 fish, mm-hmm. if we have 10,000 more, they know for certain, when I say 12,000 or 16,250, those are Gray's Harbor-bound Chinook. Okay. They know that, that by the wire code tagging, yep. tag, right? Yep. So they know, surveying, that there's 16,000 fish consumed in those northern fisheries, B.C. and up there in Alaska and mm-hmm. the commercial fisheries. If they forego and they let 10,000 of those fish go by, and we get them down here turning the corner, jumping into Grays Harbor, you know that's gonna bump our numbers by seven or 8,000 fish potentially. Right. Now we're fishing for our own Chinook on our Grays Harbor region. Yeah. But until we get them to curtail some of that uh, you know, fisheries up north, yeah. they're gonna continue c- sure. to, to intercept those fish when they turn the corner up there. So yeah. uh, those discussions are happening, but as it was uh, expressed last night, it's probably at least another year until we see any change in that, mm. in that modeling. So, uh, what do we have to look forward to? Tell me we got the, uh, the coho numbers are coming in pretty substantial. On the wild fish for the Greys Harbor Basin, Main Stem Chehalis and Tributaries, we're looking at 96,629 natural fish. What do we need for escapement? 28,500. That leaves 68,000 and or for the recreational opportunity, 34,000 right. wild coho. Right.
1: That's just that's just the the natural coho. That's side, just right? the natural coho yeah, side. Thirty-four thousand, yeah, right? 000, right. Okay? And then you have another almost forty-three thousand on
2: the hatchery side. Right. The yeah. hatchery take on that they only need fifteen hundred fish. Yeah. Out of eighty-five thousand coming back, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you couple that together, we have we have seventy-six thousand seven hundred plus a few seventy-six thousand coho coming right. back to the Chehalis Basin. Yeah. So. If we can not have to deal with mother nature, low water, river closures secondary to low water, we had 30,000 coho go, I know, go I up know. to Satsup last yeah. year during the closures of the low water. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the bay fishery was phenomenal. And these coho numbers are down just a little bit on the natural side mm-hmm. going into this season from last year. But the hatchery fish those numbers are up substantially. Mm-hmm. That's adding a huge component to our opportunity this, this fall. So 76,000 plus uh, fish on our side of the fence to go after That's great. out there in the harbor, mainstem stem Chehalis and tributaries. I mean, we're potentially looking at keep two fish starting mid-September out there in the harbor in the Lower Chehalis when it opens, and uh, two fish all the way through November. Yeah. Hatchery or wild, mm-hmm. depending on how they, uh, they actually put this model together. So the co-fishing kids is going to be. Yeah,
1: it's going to be good. Pretty I think, exciting. I think Jordan's going to be selling some jigs here.
2: I think the twitching jig thing yeah. is just going to absolutely blow up. So you better get tying now. Uh, Willapa, we have uh, we have some issues out there. Chinook numbers are well below escapement on your wild fish, like 1,500 Chinook below the wild escapement needs. The hatchery Chinook. You're going to have about 25,000, uh, give or take, you know, so 12,000 fish to go after. We could see a pretty decent Chinook fishery in the Willowpaw Bay fishery, which isn't bad. Use your weed grabber. That's stay right. out the eel, get grass, yep. right, and go after those put suckers. Put the toothpick on. Uh, yeah, put the toothpick on. The coho numbers out there don't look too bad either, Tommy. Yeah, no,
1: the coho numbers after a skatement, 29,000. Uh, and then the coho, 110,000.
2: Hundred and ten thousand. That's the hatchery take. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty phenomenal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, again, we have some, got some decent areas of coho to go after. And uh, as we get into the uh, the modeling and the season setting process, there's more meetings to have uh, take place. I uh, strongly urge you guys to, to pay attention to this stuff. We'll put the links up on our Facebook page and whatnot. You can get on there and click on to some of these meetings and join in and if nothing else, just sit back and listen. to what the options are going to be. Right. It's like when the ocean comes out, they're going to give us options, one, two, or three, right? Yep, yep, and so just, yeah, so don't forget, so tomorrow, Friday, March
1: 3rd, we've got the statewide preseason forecast, and the beautiful, the only thing that COVID gave us is we're now all well versed in using Zoom, at least most of us should be, right? (laughs) Yes. So you don't have to attend in person, you can, uh, you know, click on the Zoom link, join that way, watch and take part.
2: Yep, yep, excellent, uh, excellent point. And we're going to have that
1: information on our Facebook page too.
2: We will. I will put that up uh, this evening so it's ready to grab tomorrow uh, morning, 9 a.m. start time when folks are uh, jumping on there. So along with that, hey, did you happen to see in the news, uh, everybody, and of course you, Thomas? we have named two new commissioners to the vacant seats. I did, I saw it and I said, oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) I said, oh boy, so uh, right from the pages of the Northwest Sportsman Magazine, because Andy Wagamont is always right on top of it, a pair of retired biologists, one, a tribal fisher bio, and the other, a former WDFW ungulate researcher, have been named to the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commission, and the term of its current chair has also been re-upped, so Barbara, Baker, the current chair, has, and we knew that was coming. We knew that was going to
1: happen. So the new members are Steven Parker Mm -hmm. and Woody Myers. Uh Those are the new members. Yeah,
2: Woodrow, Woody, Myers. Yeah. Um, What do we know about him? Well, we don't know a lot. We know that Steve Parker of Yakima County spent uh, much of his 45-year career uh, working as a bio for the Yakima Nation. So the guy is well-vested in understanding fisheries, fishery management, hatchery practices, Uh, Probably conservation, recovery of fisheries, what really needs to happen, and him being on the east side, he gets it. He understands their contribution to the overall Columbia River and what that does to the state of Washington and the fisheries that it affords many of us here on the west side on the lower Colombian tributaries.
1: You know, and what I'm hoping when I read his bio, right, and the work that he did with the Yakima Nation, I'm really hoping that, you know, that as an individual he understands how important these fisheries are to the tribes. Yes. And because let's face it, um, the tribes are pushing for fish. We're pushing for fish. Mm-hmm. If it's good for the tribes, it's usually good for us.. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so that's that's my hope for Steve, but we, we got to wait and see there. And then the other one, Woody, right? He's an ungulate researcher for, for most of his career was uh, a biologist you know studying elk and deer and whatnot. 40 years that's a long that's a long career. <laughs> and so when I read that one, I have hope too. I'll call it hope because there's no really facts yet but just hope right because we've got some elk herds that are in dire shape and we need we need support for you know the folks that aren't for the predators right aren't for the bears aren't for we need somebody to balance that out so i'm hoping he comes through we'll see
2: you and i are on the same page in that regard when i read you know what information i could find in the last half a day here on you know mm-hmm. the previous work and, and and i saw that i thought okay can these two possibly bring, bring what is desperately needed to the commission the voice of reason mm-hmm. Okay, with their past experiences, and you know what, I, I hardly ever do this, I'll tip my cat to Inslee in the fact that he selected persons uh, from opposite paths. We have a strong fisheries bio, we have a strong ungulate bio. Mm-hmm. I think that's important because we're talking about fisheries and, and, right. and wildlife right. management, and as you pointed out, um, in it's, in its uh, on point, we have a severe imbalance, not just in yeah. what's happening with the wildlife, but in the commission currently in their vision in their in their mind of how they see managing our ungulate herds Mm -hmm. so i'm hoping woody can sit in there and obviously he can carry the conversation and hopefully he can help educate to the process okay and be the voice of reason and now will he be heard will it fall on deaf ears right i get a little bit excited when i think about what those two can possibly bring to the table and then i snap out of it and wake up from my pipe dream and realize we still have a five, a five to four. four. Right, we have a five four. The right. reality check yeah. here is we still have a five four imbalance. Right, so right? this could
1: be a political move to say, "Hey, I, hey, we're know, trying, I'm, we're being balanced, I right? Get we it. get these two, these two gentlemen, and um, you know they're all for the animals and they're all for fishing and hunting opportunity. But no matter what, no matter how you slice it, yeah. you've got five out of the nine mm-hmm. that are against it. Yeah, right.
2: Barbara leads so. that group. The four juniors. The other, the other thing to take note of. I think back to a couple years ago when we were uh, going through going through, looking to uh, elect a governor of the state of Washington mm-hmm. and persons actually were, you know, throwing rocks at us like, why are you guys wasting your time talking about this? What role does the governor play and have anything to do with Fish and Wildlife Management? Right. Well, I can right. tell you to date, <laughs> our current governor has appointed seven of the nine current members of our Fish and Wildlife right. Commission. Right. Seven, Tommy. Yep. So, you want to talk about the opportunity to stack the deck Mm -hmm. and for a person in that office that knows exactly what they're doing and for reasons why, it's very important when we select our governor that we we really pay attention to our natural resources in the state of Washington, the Northwest, absolutely. So, things Mm -hmm. to think about, it's not all doom and gloom. We're hopeful, we're hopeful that, hey, at times, the voice of reason can find balance within that commission. Absolutely. It only takes one from the other side to say, you know what? Woody, you're right. You're yeah. right. I'm gonna I'm gonna side with you. Yep. I mean that's what it takes. Yep. So hopefully they can sell that. Um, okay, we are going to uh, jump out for a quick break. We come back. A couple things to uh, finish up here. A few uh, short discussions here on some saltwater opportunities. Where can we fish? Some of the changes and rules and regs coming with your bottom fish fisheries. We'll talk about, albeit short season, an opportunity for blackmouth. And we got some clam digs coming up, Tommy. We'll mm-hmm. jump to all that as we close out the show. We come back. From this break, right here at Fish Northwest.
1: A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride in Bremerton, Washington. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why Arima boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. ARIMA can offer every boat with Honda Outboard packages so that you can take advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda Outboard. Call or stop by ARIMA Boats today and let them help you get into your
2: very next boat. All right, welcome back here in studios. We uh, finalized the show here. Lots of, lots of info to get through here, Tommy. Uh, we'll try to wrap it up here relatively quick. We do have some uh, some clam digs coming up starting this weekend actually um tomorrow march 3rd the beaches are opening up capelas and mox mock rocks only mo Rocks. um make sure you check your regulations because it bounces back and forth Tommy it looks like alternating days uh, on those beaches but you know if you get in on here on uh, friday tomorrow and saturday with a 4 30 and a 5 p.m Uh, low tide time. Yeah, you're going to have some daylight. You're going to have some daylight. Get out there, get it done right before it gets dark. So the rest of the week, you'll start getting into that uh, darkness. But uh, you got a whole week here, the third through the eighth. Get out there and get those clams. And we are back to a 15 per uh, digger limit don't go for that 20 or you're going to be yeah, you're going uh, to be in trouble
1: and then the other thing you know that we've been fighting right is is democ acid levels yes. right so yep. just because they schedule clam digs doesn't mean that you can book on that in 2 weeks you do have to check and make sure that you don't show up and you're the only one on the beach wondering what's going on and don't think that it's <laughs> right. a good thing and you got the beach to yourself cuz you may end up extremely sick
2: uh, with some nerve and, and violently mm-hmm. ill
1: so don't do that um, they also have some tentative digs scheduled, right? So you can make a tentative plan, basically March 23rd through the 26th. And those look like pretty good times. That's a Thursday through a Sunday. Those are all nice mid-morning digs starting at uh, 8.29 a.m. and going to 10.44 a.m. on the Sunday.
2: Who doesn't like those daylight digs? You get out there in the morning and then uh, if you're so inclined, man, uh, take some of those clam necks and do some surf perch fishing. Yeah. Works pretty well. Uh, I had put that post up there, Tommy. Got a lot of response about the digs coming up and are you team, shovel team gun. And everybody's jumping on here tonight, even saying team gun. I agree I with see you guys. That. Team gun. The guns are uh, fast. And the guns furious. are winning it. You can get it done with a gun. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, hey, along with that, sp- sticking with the saltwater, Coastal Recreational Bottom Fishing opens March 11th. That's right. That's we, right. It we does. may have to jump in here next week and do a bottom fishing. Uh, oh, dude, I would love to. Little, I'm, little, just, little, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Or Bait Lab, power, uh, yeah, let's bait do lab it. Uh, Bottom Fish. Yeah. yeah. Get you guys ready, and probably could be some scent involved. We'll see. Um, <laughs> March eleventh, with some new rockfish regulations that you got to pay attention to, or you're going to yeah. get yourself in trouble. Tommy, yeah. what's so that check, all about? So
1: check this out. You know, you got to keep this in mind. The rockfish regulations they do change quite a bit, right? You remember mm-hmm. um, for a few years there we couldn't uh, retain canary rockfish, yep, and then that pendulum swung full to the other side to the point where you could keep seven, right? Um, <laughs> yes. And so you know those those canaries, they're doing well. They're plentiful i found huge batches, huge schools offshore of those fish, um, and they're nice size, good eating. Now, here's the deal. We've got some other rockfish um, that, and to be honest with you, I don't catch, I do catch these species out of Nia Bay and La Push, but I don't catch a lot of them. And that's probably why they're saying, hey, no retention of, and that's copper rockfish, Mm -hmm. uh, quillback, and vermilion and it's a little sad because those are the the copper and the vermilion especially the vermilion man they just get they get huge right yeah but that's part of the problem right they don't they don't reach sexual maturity until they're 80 probably like jordan but um, <laughs> yeah you know so we're not going to be able to keep those rockfish um may june and july right and they're doing yep. it in those months because yeah. that's when the may, peak june, rock june right exactly yep. that's when everybody's excited about it mm-hmm. by the time the salmon get here, the tuna get here. Everybody's you're pretty like, much done with the rock They're fish. like, what's a rock fish? Yeah. Right? But, the, yeah. It, but the thing is, is, the opportunity is still open. Yeah. Um, so here's the other thing. Don't forget, anytime you're bottom fishing, you have to have a descending device. Yeah, absolutely. And um, tell you what I'm going to do. I've actually got uh, screenshots from my sonar with my Ray Marine chart plotter that I'm going to put up and it shows releasing yellow eye. Oh, nice. And what you see on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, let's see, it's a, it's a whole, uh, a high, low, wide. and it's a 275 mm-hmm. sonar with the fairing block. And that with that sonar, and the Axiom Pro, you can see the downrigger go down, mm-hmm. right? I attach the sequalizer to the downrigger, yeah, right? Yeah. It's the one that's got the clasp, Yep. You set the Releases knob on so it, it tells yep. basically what depth you want to release that to fish. Release, at. Yep. You can see that downrigger go down. Mm-hmm. You can see the fish release off the downrigger mm-hmm. and swim down and away. Oh, is that you right? You can see the fish take off and go down. And you took screenshots of And that. I've got the screenshots from oh, the from the screen. Real nice. That, uh, that I'll put up. And so the reason that I mentioned that is because people, a lot of people foo-foo the idea. Oh, that fish is never gonna survive, it's got trauma. You would be surprised, mm-hmm. right? And the reason, it's been and again, Ron Garner's done and Puget Sound Anglers have done so much work to get us the opportunity that we have because they were able to show um, a couple instances where they tag rockfish, mm-hmm. right? Specifically, the one that comes to mind is the, The female um, yellow eye that was caught and released in Hood Canal, they released it, caught it a year later. It had spawned and survived that event coming up and then going all the way back down. Mm -hmm. So believe us when we tell you this, it works. So use a descending device, sequelizer and a downrigger, the best combo you'll ever have. It's the most efficient way to do it. Nobody has to stop fishing and put a a 10-pound lead on with the sequelizer to get it down on a rod. It's just not efficient that way, so highly recommend the downrigger.
2: Downrigger works well. I tell you what doesn't work, not using a descender, which you're, you know, required to have them now. Right. But I have fished out there on the ocean before, and you look around, there's one boat out there um, catching yellow eye or whatever, and they're just tossing them. Pretty soon there's like three or four of them floating out there on the ocean. You know, and you're just going, seriously? Right. You know. You want me to take a picture of your boat and <laughs> say, right. hey, yeah, exactly. here's what's going on. Uh, that is not acceptable uh, right. with technology today and the fact we're trying to, you know, be uh, conservation mindful, release yep. these fish appropriately and send them yep. down. They have a high, a very high success rate in they survivability. Do. Now, I will say
1: every year that goes by, I see less and less of that every year. Mm-hmm. So I do believe, I do believe people are getting the message yep. and they are descending them. Yep. Um, yeah, it takes time, but it's, it's totally worth it, and that's what keeps our fishery open.
2: Yep, I agree. Yep. So we got a number of uh, dates and whatnot, uh, you know, with the, with the openings coming up here, Tommy. Um, we got a number of halibut dates, um, specifically that, uh, holy smokes, I mean, if you're uh, fishing within uh, marine areas throughout Puget Sound and whatnot, there are a significant number of days there are to go after some halibut, which is pretty encouraging.
1: Yeah, and what I would recommend um, folks do is, you know, we get that Eastern Strait opener uh, that happens, you know, a little bit earlier, right? That opens in April. And again, Puget Sound Anglers, um, obviously led by Ron Garner, uh, this is another case where they did a lot of work to make sure that that opened in April, and that's when those fish are in the Eastern Strait, yeah. okay? And so you want to take advantage of that. The other thing that I'll say is the unofficial state record Came from Area 7. Mm. There was a approximately 325 pound halibut caught in Area 7, 80 feet of water. The guy couldn't find a scale large <laughs> enough right, at yeah. any of the local grocery stores around Mount Vernon to weigh this thing. Yeah. So he takes it home, hangs it from his tractor, and takes a picture with it and gets a tape on it. Yep. And so there's a lot of big fish there. I know a handful of people that have caught very, very large halibut there. So that's, that's one of the best places to do it. And again, you're not fighting a lot of that ocean swell either. So good spot to go, opens April 6th, um, check your regs. Of course, you know what I'm gunning for, I'm gunning for the ocean, right? So yep. my boat's gonna be up at uh, Big Salmon Resort Nia Bay. Uh, in April, middle of April, uh, start on bottom fish and then halibut's going to open in May Mm -hmm. and then it's going to be wide open sleigh days as far as you can see in May, (laughs) June, (laughs) right, until it closes. So you and I are going to get on the water. Yes, we are. We're going to get some great content. I'm looking forward to getting back up there. You know, this will be um, didn't do Nia Bay last year. Spent most of my time uh, at, at Westport. Yep. And so I'm looking forward to getting back up there. It's been uh, it's been too long since I've been there.
2: It's been a bit, and yeah. uh, should be good. And yeah, you're right. I can't uh, I can't wait to get up there. We're gonna get some uh, not just some good time on the water, but some yep. great content. We're gonna break it down for you guys. We're actually gonna do a lot of how-to information right there on the on the boat. You know and. We'll, uh, we'll go over electronics and how to read and what you're seeing and, and how to find fish and just uh, get on top of them. And we're going to make it happen. So we're, we're looking forward to not just the opportunity to get back out there and fish, but to bring folks uh, right. that content as well because yep. it's going to be good. So all right, moving on through this, um, cover the clam digs, uh, bottom fishing and regs, you know, best thing to do. And any more, uh, the, uh, the WDFW website, when you go to regulations, is so easy to navigate. Mm-hmm. Those drop downs and the it's gotten the, a lot better over the, the years. The marine areas sure. and stuff, it's all right there in your face. You can't hardly screw it up. If you don't know, make sure you check your regs before you go. It's you can't
1: screw it up if you're reading the bottom fishing regulations and this you're trying is true. to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, does a sable fish count against my aggregate limit of bottom fish? Can I keep flounders for bait to use for lingcod? Right. You still need to have a little bit of a law degree, okay, to decipher. But, <laughs> but send us that. your questions. I've read the book multiple times. Mm-hmm. I can help you answer those.
2: And you yeah. you don't have a law degree, but you act like you do on TV. Well, so. that's because I have two engineering degrees, and that's better than a law degree. See, doubling down. Uh, so before we get out of here, man, we got some great uh, opportunities coming up. Heading back to the Grand Ron.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, man. Next week or that's, so. That was a beautiful place.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be even nicer now. Yeah. Weather's going to be nicer. It's not going to be so right. cold. River yeah. conditions should be better. That's why we're going back to actually fish river conditions that exceed uh, foot to 18 inches of visibility. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Ainsworth is traveling the world as he does. So right. uh, I don't think he works. No, very much. If no, you know. he travels the world. He's yeah. world travel. Um, Herzog is joining me. Yes, Herzog is there joining me, and uh, Matt's coming along to film. It's going to be a great time. Oh, be good. Teaming up again with. Uh, with the, uh, the young kid over there. There you go. Louis. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. So looking forward to that. Uh, also heading back over to Rufus and uh, Roosevelt for a weekend yeah. there with Richie Herod and the Max boys. Uh, looking forward to fishing that, getting the planar boards out on Roosevelt and just doing that whole thing. Excited to bring Ooh. those fisheries to you. Been waiting to get over there, been waiting to get through this weather to get over there. I had to miss out on the dog on kokanee derby because, uh, well, the boat was completely snowed in and, uh, of course, I was sick. Yeah. So, there's Just all that. Two valid reasons. Two valid reasons. Yep. And then, uh, gosh, you know, right towards the end of the uh, month here when I can finally fit it in, that last week of March, near the first week of April, man, it's, it's full on springer time. I want to get there
1: yeah.
2: mid-March. If I can, uh, grab a day here and there and I hope a lot of you guys are getting ready for springer fishing. We are going to start talking springers in the next couple weeks here, definitely going to have some how-to stuff coming out of the bait lab, getting you ready for springers, talking about bait preparation, all those things that go into to be successful on getting after these springers on the Columbia River. So yes, we will delve into that information coming up in the very near future over the next couple weeks to help you guys get ready as we are. So lots going on, lots of opportunity, lots of content coming it's uh we're on the cusp of spring here it's gonna get busy march 20th first day of spring let's hope weather uh cooperates and we can look forward to getting out there and enjoying all these fisheries and again bringing all this fantastic opportunity content back here in studio each and every week so uh any final words
1: no, I mean while you're hitting all these uh, cold weather places, I'm planning trips to Hawaii, Cabo, and the Bahamas. So <laughs> yes, you um, are. It's, gonna, it's a rough life, but somebody's got to do I it. I may be
2: solo here a couple, uh, yeah. couple weeks. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs>
1: Potentially. Actually, most likely.
2: Yes. Yeah, most. Yeah. <laughs> it's a high probability. <laughs> all right, that's gonna do it for us this week. Thanks for sticking through with us to the end. We had a lot of content to get through, but we wanted to make sure we brought it to you. And uh, we will, as far as we know, we will. Are you here next week? Yeah, I'm here next week. Are you? I and gotta then check I'm gone. the calendar. Okay. Yeah. yeah, as far as we know, we are here next week. Tune in live, six PM Thursday night. Fish on Northwest will be coming to you from this very studio next Thursday. Get through the weekend, get out there and dig some clams, go have a great time. The Westport Crab Feed Festival is Saturday. Oh baby. That is going on from noon till six. So uh, something else to think about. Yeah. And don't forget, CQ Blackmouth, it's open. It is it open. It is open. So we didn't even go touch on that. Get CQ Blackmouth yep. is open. Let's, uh, let's take the wind out of the sail before we get out of here. Area 10 <laughs> wah, wah, wah. is not going to reopen. That no. is right. Thank you for the reminder, no. my friend. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, uh, yeah Area 10 is not, as, we, as far as we know right now, is not going to reopen uh, until the, uh, the summer opportunity. And we don't even know what that date is until we get through the North of Falcon process. So the only blackmouth opportunity we have is currently CQ. is CQ. With a one fish limit. Not two. Not two this year. Wow. Yeah, Thank you, Jordan. Wow. We have Remember, they eight. shut us down early last yeah, year, so they're so. trying to
1: get ahead of the curve there and say, hey, yep. one fish for you, yep. no more. Yep. Sam Rutledge, this is your fault. <laughs> yeah, he's out there killing too many. Yep.
2: Uh, one hatchery Chinook retention CQ through the end of April, if we can make it that far. All right, we are definitely out of here now. We have done our uh, due diligence. We've uh, packed your heads with plenty of info. We will see you next week. Thursday evening, 6 p.m., right here at Fish on Northwest. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and, of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host sherry england and chef jeff maxfield give us a follow on our facebook page at Fish Hunt northwest also subscribe to our youtube channel at Fish Hunt nw find us on twitter and instagram and finally go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info join us each week here on our podcast join us each week at our live production have a great week everybody we'll see you soon